Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back again for this week's Talk and Footy episode. And this week we've actually got a double ep. We've got part one now and part two will be available shortly afterwards as well. Bit of a make-up episode because I couldn't get one up last week just because of time constraints and scheduling. So we've got all last week's topics in this one. We've got about a dozen things that we're going to get through. It's going to be a huge podcast for Talk and Footy. If you're just listening for the first time, everyone, this podcast is just a footy one. We've also got our Super Coach one for the NRL All Stars podcast as well. The Super Coach TLT podcast always drops on a Wednesday, recorded on a Tuesday night after Teamless Tuesday. And the Talk and Footy ones always hit on a Friday, although this week it might be a little bit different because we'll have two of them hitting back to back days. So probably Friday, Saturday, but you might even get in into a bit of luck and hit one on the Thursday for part one. So certainly at the end of this episode, um, there's going to be a part two to continue on with the topics and everything. So make sure you look out for that one and you tune into that. But for this Talk and Footy extravaganza, I had to get on Luke Garrity again. Always great on the Talk and Footy podcast co-host of the Rugby League Cemetery podcast as well, which is fantastic. And also a bit of a super coach nerd that occasionally jumps on the super coach ones as well. So Luke, welcome back aboard, mate. Good to have you today. Cheers, mate. Good to be here. Let's get into it. Newcastle Knights been going a bit better for you at least. So you should, uh, well, you know, I guess it depends on the fans' point of view. I mean, <laughs> you're winning some games, but there is obviously some um, some issues as well. So, I mean, how are you feeling at the moment on the season? Um. Pretty negative. Um, feeling's not real good here at the moment. Um, obviously, they've got $3 million worth of players out at the moment, um, and our million-dollar player plays like he should be on 100 grand. So you might say that's $4 million out. Um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's pretty rocky here at the moment. Uh, they started pretty brightly, but this Ponga stuff's getting a bit frustrating. Um, last week was the first time in a long time, or since Darius Boyd, that I've been to a game and heard one of our star players booed. There's a lot of hostility at Caelan Ponga at the moment. Um, people were booing him in the game. They're booing him when he went off for HIA. There's not when he makes a mistake. There's some real, un, you know, oh, here we go again, sort of knocking this under the surface. So it's all it's all um, undoing a little bit here at the moment. And I'm interested to to see what happens next. You know, um, if Kalen goes, it's going to be really nasty for the rest of this year. And if he signs on, he's unfortunately undone a lot of goodwill at the moment. There's people are just not happy with him. They don't want him to stay. Um, and yeah, they're at a bit of a crossroads. They really need to, you know, it's rugby league. If they win a couple of games and Caelan plays well and he signs on, everyone will forget it. But yeah, it, it's in a situation at the moment where the club could really te- really teeter and go one way or the other pretty heavily over the next month or two, depending on what happens. Yeah, well, I mean, look, the first topic for this podcast is um, mm. our general thoughts on the footy between round four and five. Normally we'll do a bit of a round mm. roundup, but because we didn't have the podcast last week, it's round four and five. And I mean, like I said that they're going okay as far as on the ladder because they started off well, but certainly the last couple of weeks haven't gone as well. So we may as well touch on the Knights around four to five. I mean, you obviously got flogged by Manly. It was a, it was a lot closer. I thought that game was in the balance quite a bit um, until sort of Manly ran away with it completely. Uh, the week before, you know, I, it's hard because I don't think Newcastle played well, but... 18-0 against the Sharks isn't terrible because I do think the Sharks are quite a good team. So, mm. I mean, 
it's gone downhill, but it's funny. You know, I, I really, as a non-Newcastle fan, I hear what you're saying and I don't really know what to make of it because there's some guys that seem to be playing quite well and like you mentioned, the pay grade, like well above pay grade. Um, you know, guys that have been... Mm that I don't think are very good that have been better than that. So maybe guys like Kurt Mann, um, certainly we've touched on Clune before Clifford, even though he's dropped off a little yep. bit, he's still playing really well for what you've bought him for. But the, the elephant in the room is always going to be Ponga because he's been atrocious. And if he's not hurt, he seems to just be not turning up anyway. So, I mean, I made the comment during this round four to five period with all the questions on Ponga that, you know, if I was a Newcastle Knights fan at the moment, I would controversially, I'd let him walk for 1.2 million. Is that kind of where you're at at the moment, or do you want them to re-sign him at this point? Um, yeah, I'm trying not to form a really strong view on it because I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm going to be stuck with whatever they do anyway. So if he stays, I don't want to get in my head that I want him gone and then hate him once he's here because I'd, I'd want to go for them. If that makes sense, it sounds silly, but I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> lock does. myself in to, to saying I want him gone and then have to put up with him for four years because I, you know, he's very enjoyable to watch when he plays well and. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's worth 1.2. There's been no evidence of that. And what people here are finding frustrating, it's not really the results. The results I'll touch on in a moment, but what people are finding frustrating is he keeps, his dad has even come out and said they basically wanted a heart to heart with Wayne about how good he thinks Redcliffe's roster will be and that he's weighing up rosters and things like that. And what makes us angry is that it's like, Kalen, you want to shake him? Kalen, you are the million dollar player. You are supposed to make them win. Like you, you're not supposed to, you don't need to look at the roster. You want to be paid to be that guy. That's your job. If you want to go make $500,000, go and look at every roster you want. Because, you know, if, if you let us pay you 500, we'll go get Munster for 1.2 and you may well win a competition. But if you want to be the guy, like stop weighing up roster strength and going, oh, I wonder if I can win here or I want to win one there. no. You're supposed to do that for us. And you're sitting around the field playing about half as well as you can. You're not getting involved. The statistics out there, he averages under half the touches of a Tedesco and, and Travojevic and everyone else. And it's like, mate, if you want to win a comp, pull your ass out and win a comp. That's your job. That's not, you know, Clifford's job and Clune's job. You know what I mean? And I think that's the frustration. The, the results at the moment, we were nil all with Cronulla at half time and, and we didn't play very well. So, you wear that. Um, we probably would have beaten Penrith if we didn't have 12 players on the field. So um, you can wear that one. And, and the Manly one, you know, it, it, it was pretty weak the way they ended it, but it was in a game for most of it. So I'm, I'm not really that disappointed in the results other than to say they're a mid-table team and you can't afford to keep losing games. Like you can't afford to say we could have won all three and win none of them because that's how you miss the eight, right? Or, or that's how you come eighth instead of fourth or fifth and or, or 14th instead of eighth, right? You, you do actually need to win all the games you're in. You can't just say, oh, they were close. But that aside, I think the actual hostility is the Ponga thing. It's the like, you've got this guy that's supposed to lead them to something. He doesn't seem to be sure whether he wants to be here and he seems to be not sure for really stupid reasons, like who's going to build me the best roster. And, and, and tellingly, if you look around, have you ever seen a guy up for a million dollars plus where no good club is actually chasing him? Like the, the Roosters aren't trying to get him um, and they try and get everyone. <laughs> it's a little dig there, but they, they do. <laughs> um, I mean, no, nobody at the pointy end of the tape, like there's no huge contract from Parramatta or a top four side. There's actually not a good team trying to get him. It's a desperate, a desperate expansion franchise who has missed everyone that they could get. Um, I know Munster's, a chance for them, but he's not till the year after they start. And that's pretty dodgy. You don't want to play for a year and then have to get your good player year two. You want it to ground running. They literally have no one left they can sign for 2023 who's any good. 
And then there's us and nobody else is in for bidding for him and nobody has put aside money to try and bid for him. And it's just, yeah, I guess we're in the situation where, no, he's probably not worth what he's now asking. He's coming across as pretty sort of NBA style to me. He's coming across as like an American mm. athlete who's about his brand. What's going to do my brand? You know, I was thinking of LeBron. Very James. good comparison. I, I kept thinking of this is like, he's going to announce it on the decision and have his own bloody TV program. If it keeps going like this. Um, it, it, it is a very, it, it is a very American thing yeah. to feel an entitlement to get paid a maximum contract on very little proof of performance. And yeah. That is that is where Caelan Ponger is now, and it's why it's it's one of those things. That, oh, I'm obviously very into the NBA. Mm. A lot of people know that I like American sports in general as well. I follow some of the other leagues too, and it's you know the stuff that's accepted over there just doesn't fly here. No. And you see occasionally when like in the NBA you get American imports come across and and other things, and you do get the American culture come through in the NBA and the NFL and so forth. So you do see it sometimes, but it never goes well. Um, and I've said that to American friends of mine, other guys that yeah. support leagues over there. It doesn't go well because here it's very much you have to earn it. And if you don't, people will let you know. They don't. They basically don't stand for bullshit. No. Whereas over in America, in the NBA, it's a really good example, Luke, because you will get someone that gets paid a five-year maximum contract of $200 million based on potential mm. and based on maybe playing two months of good basketball yeah. or, or, or football in the NFL after two months, you know, you'll, you'll rock it and get paid that. Whereas here it's like, well, no, you actually have to win games and you actually have to perform. And if you don't win games and you don't perform and you aren't making your team better, we're not going to pay you that money. And that's what happens. And I think that's what's actually happened in the market because the other thing with Kalen too, that I think that he needs to remember is, you know, what is his career at the moment? At the moment he, he's played well for basically six months in his career and yeah he's a circus act player at the moment and, and i'd say this with but i really hope he kicks on i, I don't even dislike him personally oh, he's young enough he, to get he, better yeah, i'm he, sure we he, both know that he's a circus act at the moment and what i mean by that he's he's a super saturday highlight reel player um I love Sean Johnson, but it reminds me a bit of that is that if you watch Sean Johnson's highlights on a Super Saturday for his career, you'd think you'd be seeing an immortal, right? Some of the stuff he's done against the Titans on a Saturday at three o'clock when on Fox. But the amount of times you see those plays in semifinals and Friday night football and, you know, in international football or for, for Kalen to be state of origin, we haven't seen any of that yet. He, he's played, he's done some of the most wizardry things in a 40 point flogging of a bad team on Saturday afternoon. But we haven't seen it when it counts yet. And, 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 you know, you're right with the bullshit meter because fans feel that way. And I guess particularly in Newcastle, because it's a very, it's a very passionate fan base who expect the team to go well and will actually support nearly anyone because we're so like the, the amount of people Newcastle worship who aren't any good is unbelievable, but it's because they have a crack. You see all these nobodies have a go and I get frustrated because everyone's like, Oh, this guy's a future captain. And you're like, he's a bad player just having a go. And that's almost enough for us, but they won't cop the opposite. You can't be a great player, not having a go. And Darius Boyd used to get Bronx cheered all the time here. And he'd refuse to run the ball back. And when he would run the ball back, everyone would do this fake, like really sarcastic clapping, like, Oh, there you go. And all this sort of stuff. And it's, it's just turning a little bit that way on him. And there's time to turn it back around, but it's an interesting scenario. And it just does remind me of that NBA stuff where he's like, it's about brand Ponger and the best opportunity for him to make a, a big deal and B win a comp sort of, you know, with the only exception being there's no super team interested in him. He's, he can only go to sides that 
and Newcastle or Redcliffe, nobody else is interested. And I think that that, to me, is a big, it reveals a lot, right? That a player with that much ability, nobody else is in for him. There is no third party that thinks that's a good idea. Mm. Um, And, you know, he talks about wanting to go to a roster that wins a comp. It's like, champ, if you want the million bucks, the only people interested are desperate people. Um, You know, you're not going to go win a comp on a million bucks. You actually need to take less or you need to win them a comp. You need to pull your ass out, have 50 touches. And if you you want to win Newcastle or Redcliffe to win a comp, you'll be doing it yourself because they can't afford to win a comp with you on 1.2. Um, They're not going to pay anyone else. Going to. You will be playing with Clune. You'll be playing with Clune or you'll be playing with the Clune equivalent up in Redcliffe because they won't have any money for a player to put around you. And the shine's wearing off too because he's not even... I, I find that he's not even doing the flashy stuff now. And I don't want to talk about Caelan and the Knights too much for yeah. around 4.5, so we'll move no. on. But um, <laughs> look, just to finish it up, like I always like to look at the numbers and like he's not even doing the flashy stuff, any, flashy stuff anymore, right? So, I mean, no. you can... He definitely doesn't step up and lead his team when they're down or when they're not going very well, and that's a big concern. And he does go missing, and he does have low usage. But, you know, before when he used to do that sort of stuff, he used to see the occasional flashy play where he'd bring out his sidestep and have his five or six tackle breaks. You know, he's barely broken a tackle the last two weeks in round four to five. He's ran the ball 15 times a game, but he is a fullback, so that's quite low, really. Uh, And That's horrible. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And he's averaging, you know, over two errors a game. He's missing a couple of tackles a game and he's not actually attempting very many. And he's just, he doesn't, I don't think he's got any assists, any line break or try assists in those two weeks. So, I mean, what is he actually doing? You know, and it is that old joke that someone just went out on the field and ran around for 80 minutes, you know, but like if you look at his stats, aside from some errors and passing the ball along a line, he's not really doing anything the last two weeks. No, and, and that's the frustration because, again, we will get off them, but he's such a good player that if he touched the ball 30 times a game, he just can't help but be good. Like if he wanted to, if he's hungry and he grabs it, eyeballs the defence and runs at them, the Knights will just, good things will just happen because he is such so athletically gifted and such a good passer of the football as well. Like he, He's so powerful because of his pace and sidestep. He, he bumps out of any tackle he tries to get in. He can beat you with a pass. He can step you inside. He can go you outside. If he just wants to, it will happen. And that's only a desire thing. There is not, there's no out of form with Kalen. The form is, if he runs the ball, people can't handle him. But he doesn't want to. That's what's frustrating everyone. But I, I digress. And, yeah. and if he was playing how he was a couple of years ago, right now with how the rest of the Knights team's playing, you'd actually be going really well. I think that's really disappointing because the Knights as a whole are playing better than what they have the last couple of years. But their star player isn't playing like he was. And that's a big deal. And the last round four to five, that's bad. When we're looking at numbers from round four to five, um, interesting because at the start of the season, you know, I made a big deal about how we're getting a lot of close games, basically, and all the numbers showed that it was really competitive. The last two weeks, you know, round four, seven out of eight games were actually 13 plus, which is abysmal. Um, And this last round, we had four out of eight games that were 13 plus margins of victory. Uh, and the, but there was actually only a couple of games that were close. There was a couple of 12 point wins as well there. So um, all of a sudden we are starting to see the blowouts and that's been a theme the last couple of weeks, I think. But we also saw one of the tight games in this past round was abysmal. And that was the Tigers Titans game, eight, six with the only try scored in like the 79th minute. And the only positive I took away from it, Luke, was that I had first try score going for 79 minutes. And that's the first time ever that I've had that better life <laughs> for that long. And, uh, other than that, though, like I'll do the numbers and then I'll throw to you, but I can't remember a worse game. And when you're looking at the numbers of that, you know, it was almost 50-50 possession for a start. So each team had enough opportunity. 
and they were just trying to give it away. You know, you had well, the, the Tigers completed 76%, which was actually half decent. 65% for the Titans isn't good. But, you know, when you're looking at the errors and stuff, there was 51 missed tackles for a start, uh, close to 30 errors on the night as well. And it was just awful football. Like it was two sides just trying not to win. So I don't want to say, look, that's, you know, a highlight. Um, but for round four to kick off, that was probably one of the worst games I remember. <laughs> I don't know about you. Yeah, I think it was a good... I, um, you know, rolled my eyes like many about, you know, Valandis coming out and trying to get rid of the wrestle and quicken up the game again because I have been enjoying the, the games and I, I think that was a silly comment. But I think that game was an important marker for people to remember why they did speed the ruck up and they went too far. But that game, that did you, you say it's one of the worst you've seen. I thought that too until I remembered back that I used to get that experience about once every couple of weeks. There was, there was a game where the Tigers lost to Penrith like 12-8, where Masters missed four goals or something a couple of years ago that was just like that. Yeah. And there was there was a heap like that. We used to get like one or two a week that were absolute bludgers. They usually involved the the, the pay era Bulldogs used to just make the game like that every game, yep. no matter who they played. Like South would, you know, be coming second on the table and beat them like 16-12 in an absolute stinker or 12-8 or something. And you almost didn't want to, you know, you knew the Bulldogs would never win any games, but you didn't want to be on either of the teams to score. <laughs> and 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 there was a few, I'm not just picking on them, there was more games like that. That's why we quickened the ruck up. That's why we did it, because you did get games like this. Um, I We did go too far, but that game was what we were trying to avoid by quickening up the game and having more points in them. And there's a reason for that, because it was just awful. The less said about it, the better. People were down on the Tigers because obviously they lost it. But I tell you what, I actually made the point on Twitter that I'm more down on the Titans because the Titans actually have more ability than the Tigers. They've got a better roster. They supposedly have a better coach and they were playing finals football before. So, I mean, you know, I think that that reflects worse on them because they, they just got lucky with that win. Um, Turbo went down in round four as well. And Manly came out in round five and, and beat your Knights quite convincingly. Obviously, mm-hmm. when Turbo goes down, you kind of think that Manly are done. Is it fool's goal that they just got that win in round five, Luke, or a manly, a manly done? Do you think without oh. Turbo? Yeah, I I think it's really hard to read anything into that game because it was I was at it and it was just sopping like it rained. We had 40, 50 mil of rain. Mm. And I remember on the way there, my mate said to me, the worst thing about tonight is you can't read anything into it. Like we'll either win or lose, but it'll just be based on who falls over the try line a few times and then can't be caught or whatever. Like the, the, nobody plays in conditions like that very often. Um, and it brings teams right back to the pack. You can, you know, you take Turbo out, but what would Turbo have done that Ruben Garrick didn't? Not much. It was too wet. Like nothing, he couldn't have got the ball. They wouldn't have run three block shifts for him to get it out wide and tear us apart or anything. It, it's just hard to read. I'd like to see him play in the dry before we get a very good read on that. Um, I think teams will be able to target Cherry Evans really well, and that'll put a lot of pressure on on Foran, who deserves, by the way, we need to mention that he scored a zero in 80 minutes as super coach without going off the field. So um, props to Kieran Foran. That's very impressive. Um, but that's a good point, right? Like if they're 5'8", scored a zero, and they got 30 points, but are they going to do that? with? Can they afford to have him doing that little when it's dry and the other team can put some attack on and you don't just grab a kick for four tries and that sort of thing? So I'd just say we need to wait and see. I wouldn't say no, just that that game was, you know, mm. it's very hard to read anything into it. It was wet. Everyone dropped the ball. Cherry Evans kicked for a few tries and they won. You know, let's see how they go now. Yeah, I mean, it's a surprising start with Turbo. Everyone forgets things in rugby league quite quickly, which we've mentioned on this podcast many times. But Dravojevic has now played less than 50% of his games. 
with Manly. Mm. So, I mean, it, it, it is a big deal. You know, he's he's out yeah. half the time. So certainly he's worth the money, but certainly he's out a lot. Um, the other thing that I took away from rounds four to five is uh, are the Eels a genuine contender? Because, I mean, I think that they've improved in how they're playing and I'm quite surprised with their outside backs depth being tested and stuff, but they had a 48 to 14 win over the Dragons and everyone can say, oh yeah, but it's the Dragons and they're struggling, sure, but it was a very convincing win where they played very well. They won over the Titans in round five. Um, Titans aren't very good. It was a close uh, game, but I never really thought the Eels were going to lose that either. They also conceded a 10-1 penalty count. Um, I thought got rewarded quite a bit. They got the Junior Paulo Sinbin, which we'll talk about a bit later in detail, but all that sort of made it a bit of a better win than what it looked as well. So, I mean, Quick one, are the Eels a real deal after we've seen them round four and five continue winning? No, they're going to go to week two of the finals. Everyone's going to think they're going to go really well and they're going to flake it like they always do in the second week of the finals. Um, and if they have an amazing season, they'll flake it in the prelim instead. But I doubt it. It'll be week two like it always is. Um, <laughs> sorry, but it's the same team every year. And I'm sick of being impressed by Parramatta in the first month and pretending it's different. It's the same team. They're going to get in the finals and Moses and Gutho are going to go missing in a key game and they won't win it. So same as every year. Para fans, we'll revisit this with Luke in about three months and we'll see where, well, where I, we're I, all I, I apologise, but I'm only going off the evidence. This team, is a, it's a good football side. It's a really good football side. But do they not do the same thing? Do we not have this conversation every year um, in the first half of the season? And do they not go out in week two every year? And do we not say, Jesus, Gutho and Moses didn't do anything? It, it is 100% <laughs> true. Um, but I will say on round, in rounds four to five, I was quite impressed with Brown and Moses more than what I have been in the past. I think I've seen things in their game. Um, you know, I made the comment to Wilfred on the Supercoach podcast. Um, someone like Dylan Brown has already matched his season totals of yep. prior years yep. on, on on everything, you know, <laughs> in five games. Quick one on him. You want to talk about short memories in rugby league. So Dylan Brown's going very, very well. I really think he's finally hitting what he was always capable of. He always looked like he had potential. You talk about contracts on potential. He's a guy who was got almost a star name based only on potential. He's never really lived up to it, but we could all see it. Mm. Um, and we're finally seeing it now. But um, we, if Brad Arthur gets any credit for this, it just shows to show how dumb the whole rugby league community is because <laughs> you know, like Brad Arthur swapped his halves last year. He put Dylan Brown on the right. He put Moses on the left. They both look like absolute crap all season. Like Dylan, like yes, Dylan Brown's gone past his numbers from last year, but that's because his numbers were appalling. Like he didn't set any tries up. Yeah, what two for the but year? But that's been a, that, that has been a career yeah. issue for him. Though yeah. he's never yeah, been able to do that. It has, but he set up quite a few more when he was on the left the year before. Not as many as mm. now, but he, he he they swapped them sides. They regressed horrifically, and he left them there all year. He moved his edge back rowers to the wrong side, and he moved his halves to the wrong side for a whole season. They bashed and barged their way into the finals without really ever being able to score points against good teams. They went to a, you know, a semi-final and still couldn't score many points. And this year he's like, I've got an idea. Let's swap them back. And everyone's like, oh, how good's Brown going? And so, yeah, he's going well because his coach got rid of the stupid idea that he, that he mucked around with for 12 months. They might have done this last year. And frankly, they might have beaten Penrith. It was a very close game. They nearly won that semi. And if they'd played the correct way all year like they are now, they'd have been every chance of finding a try and winning the game. And it's not good coaching that they're going well. It's just the coach stopping tinkering with rubbish and putting the players back where they belong. It's, it's my biggest bugbear is the change of sides coaches go through and then get credit for putting them back. It's, it's bizarre. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> we do digress, but uh, I, I hear where you're coming from. I'm probably more in the middle than what you are. I'm not either way on them yet. I want to see a bit more, but I do think there's potential there that yeah. we've seen the last couple of rounds. Um, other than they that... Look, they look really good. I, 
absolutely believe they've looked good. I just want to see it when it counts. That's all. Oh, and that's, <laughs> that's completely yeah. fair as well. Uh, everyone's down on my Roosters. You know, round four to five, it's interesting because the Roosters just got two back-to-back wins. Um, and look, the Broncos win wasn't convincing, 24 to 20. Uh, I think everyone thought they'd win by a lot more, but credit to the Broncos. I thought that they played actually quite well uh, as well. The week before, it was 28 to four over the Cowboys, much more of a flogging, but there was three sin bins. Um, I get people whinging about them, but look, the last two sin bins, the Roosters were already up 24 nil, and the first one was completely valid. So I, I don't think in context it really mattered. Um, but, you know, I think the key issue with the Roosters the last couple of weeks is they're winning, but all of a sudden preseason they were everyone's darlings for a premiership and now they're blown right out in the odds to like fourth, fifth favourites type of thing. Um, and I, I've been asked the question, you know, what's going on? Obviously, I'm a Roosters fan. When you have a look at it, you know, the, the things that go wrong and you've seen it the last couple of weeks, even in the Broncos game, you know, we didn't have 50-50 possession and that's a common theme. Uh, we had 13 errors in that Broncos game as well, which is too many. And we can see too many penalties, um, dumb ones sometimes as well. Um, so that's that's when the Roosters aren't going that well. Um, but certainly the errors and things uh, are part of the combos and stuff, and somebody sort of threw at me, well, are the combos inconsistent? Is Teddy not playing as well as what he could because of um, Kiri? And, you know, th- the short answer is no. I think it's a lot of things. But I did make the point, Luke, and I'm interested in the next couple of weeks, that aside from a lot of different factors, one of them that's not being spoken about is the Roosters have always done well with a genuine number nine and they use the number nine quite well. I like Robbo's system with it. You've seen Jake friend do a lot of things from nine that have been really important, even just his service. But when he goes to a, a short side or when he puts a kick in himself and different things, or when he plays short at the line to score some tries with the front rowers or, or, or Radley near the line and things like that, that's all been in the past as well. And it's not something that Watson is. And, and we're seeing that the last couple of weeks, right? Hutchison isn't a hooker at all. He's meant to just fill in. Um, and Watson is a good player for us to have, but he's more of a utility. He's okay at hooker, but he's not a genuine hooker for me. So Radley comes back in round six. We'll no doubt discuss that in the coming weeks, but I think that's actually been missing for them a lot as well and hasn't been spoken about. So having a genuine nine there, I think we're going to see it help the the form and the consistency more than what we have seen the last couple of rounds do. Yeah, barrels will be good for them. I think the same. They, they do need a hooker. Um, Watson's about as good as a hooker you can get that's not actually a starting hooker. Um, like if you, he's about the best backup you can sort of get in the comp and afford to pay, but he's not a starting hooker. He's a, he, he's just a very good stopgap or a very good fill-in or a very mm. good 15, 15, 20 minutes to give your hooker a spell. Um, barrels will make a big difference to them. But, yeah, I, I think the other thing for me is I, I've thought more and more that progressively over the last few years, the Roosters have got slower and also a bit less hard. I think people underestimate Cordner and Friend, the amount of toughness that took out of their side. Um, and it's given them a softer underbelly than they ever had when they're at the very top of the comp. They've still got the points in them, but they don't have the same hardness and edge to, to go at you for a whole game. Um, and I don't think for all the things Robbo's done very well, uh, he's rejuvenated the backs well over the years, cycled in budget options with the Morrises. He's done a very good job of that and kept his core guys. I think he could have done a better job of freshening up the pack. I think he relies on a few older guys pretty heavily and he puts a lot of faith in in Radley who, you know, um, <laughs> I think everyone sort of thought, every, he doesn't play a lot and he, he's, you know, it, Everyone sort of thinks of him as a superstar. He'd be lucky to be in the top four locks in the comp. Like, he's a good player, but he's not a great player. And his name's pretty, you know, like, you wouldn't swap 
your yo's and, and Murray's or anyone for him. And I, I think that there's a few things I'm very surprised they ever let Curran go. Um, and it, I think and suspect, and if I was going to put money on it, I think they'll go in for, if they don't go in for Haas, I think they'll go in for someone like that. I think they know, I think they need a really big forward who's younger to start carrying the can because they're, I think they're short on toughness there. And I tipped them to be right up there in the preseason. And I actually think I got that wrong. I'll drop off that now. They'll be in the eight, but um, I'm just not seeing enough toughness there, which is understandable. You don't just replace Boyd Cordner's and friends and these guys that, and you know, they were very important, but the the support cast or the other key players have also aged. Ray Hargraves just can't quite do what he did three years ago. Still a decent player. Um, Takiyaho is not what he was either. And I, I think they need, they went and got Smith and that was a reasonable signing. They got Tedesco when they were short of class a few years ago and Cronk. And I think the next one, if they're serious, will be identifying a really big fish for, as a front rower or a middle forward and getting him in. I actually think that I've, we've seen that this season as well, and particularly mm. the last couple of weeks. So I agree with you. I do think there's a reason for it. Um, and the reason, and you've seen it in the last couple of weeks too. You know, we started um, young Nate Butcher in, in mm. the back row in place of Angus Crichton, and that's Robbo trying to get something else in the middle happening from what we have. Um, and it's happened yeah. for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons that Butcher started the last couple of weeks and played quite well in round four and five as well, I'll add. But he's been there because... We've always had this plethora the last five years of, of back rowers. And some of them, like Curran, like might have been grown into a prop, but they just didn't. Um, and mm. and also someone like Curran, they've had to let go because you had to choose, right? The, the Butcher brothers are there. And if you lose one, you lose both, by the way. Um, and they had to come through. Radley had to come through in the back row. Uh, and you had all these other players as well. And we've got some other young tearaways like White that played in the All-Stars game who I think is going to be good. And you just can't keep them all. So Curran was just the odd man out. I would have loved to have kept him, but we just couldn't play him. But at the same time, we had all these back rowers that we had to let some go, but we had no props coming through. They just didn't ever develop or become any good. Um, and we had a few that, that just didn't work out. Um, and then we got guys like Fletcher Baker that the jury's out on whether he's going to actually come through or not. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. So I just think it's kind of been a bit unlucky. You know, it's mm. one of those things where we've tried to develop them, but we've just ended up with a lot better back rowers and we just haven't been able to churn through um, some props. But I actually think that a guy that's not mentioned, uh, Marty Tapao is actually off contract. Um, and I would be surprised if we don't have a chat to Marty uh, because it's not too far for him to travel. And he's, you know, he's not going to be a long-termer, but he's certainly a good stopgap for a couple of years. Um, he's not the player that he once was, but he's still going to give us some aggression, some offloading and, and different things. A little bit like what Jared does, but maybe Jared a couple of years ago um, for a couple of years. Um, but, you know, I think that's what's happened, but I've certainly seen it the last couple of weeks as well. Uh, quick one on the round before we move on to the next topic. Dogs flogged back-to-back. Um, tigers flogged as well back-to-back. Uh, are we seeing already in round four to five that these teams are already done for the year? Like at what point do do we sort of write them off? Because to me, they're kind of two different sides, right? Um, we saw it round four to five. I thought the dogs tried pretty hard and there were different signs there. Not enough, but some. Um, and certainly when you look at the opposition, like they got flogged by Melbourne and then flogged by Penrith. So how much do you take away from that? Whereas the Tigers are basically getting flogged by anyone and just not looking like they're turning up. So, I mean, two teams that have gotten flogged the last two weeks, but under different circumstances. And by the way, I shouldn't say the Tigers got flogged two weeks. So 
had that all-time awful loss of 8-6. So there is <laughs> that, that. That counts as a flogging. It's bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather get beat by 30 than watch that. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Um, now, I know what you mean. Um, the Bulldogs just – I get a lot of stuff wrong, so I'd just like to point out that I – just before round one, when we discussed this, I said they were no chance of getting anywhere near the eight um, and that these things take time and you can't just sign a few good players and go, well, and I'm going to claim vindication for that. You've got it. They are not at the races at all in terms of scoring points. I watched the Melbourne game. They, they, Melbourne didn't play that well. And the Bulldogs, if the Bulldogs were, say, I don't even mean if they were Penrith, if the, if the Bulldogs were even like the Knights with that amount of ball in the 20, they could have been up 18-0. They had so much ball down the end and came away from it at nil all after 25 minutes when Melbourne had made errors, Canterbury had put them down there. They'd done the basic arm wrestle part of the game, right? And given themselves those chances, forced a few errors and stuff. And they never looked like scoring a point. Like you could, I could have gone and made a sandwich and come back and known they wouldn't have scored when they had two or three sets in the try line. Um, And that those combinations aren't there yet. Um, can they get any better? I, when you say right off their season, I mean, they, I don't think they were ever going to do anything, but there's no reason they can't work on the combinations. They, they need to spend the year working out what Burton's game is, like what they want, where they want Burton to get the ball, like what suits him, what part of the field he needs the ball on, what situations he gets it in and what he nails, and just repetition after repetition of setting that up, getting their forwards to the right parts of the field, finding you know, not necessarily the right halfback because I think they need to go and get one, but finding the right plays and structures and things that get their their guys the ball where they want them. That's what you've got to work out because he's a very dangerous player and he can definitely make it as a five, good 5-8 five, in the comp. Um, but rather than criticise him for not doing it yet, I, I would just go, we know he's good. So, let you know, you sort of got to find your style and what works for you. And that's what I'd do with them. Um, the Tigers, on the other hand, have completely written off. They need to they need to get rid of their coach. Um, it's not his fault. People will tell me it's the players, it's all this. Yeah, it is. But the coach signed most of those players now. Two of the guys he made captain are in reserve grade this week. He made them captain five weeks ago. Um, I don't know about you, but do you, you know, I feel like I might have been able to tell you that making Ken Mamalo and Tyrone Peachy captain wasn't a good idea. Um, mm. yeah. Anyway, um, like, oh, geez, like it's, that's, it's shocking that that fell over. But, you know, they, these guys, like Peachy's got there and Peachy wasn't going well at the Titans, but he had a reasonable year last year off the bench and was sparky. And he's just gone there and been sin-binned like three times. He's laughing on his way off the field, the attitude. He's gone there and completely parked in for a holiday. Um, and he's not alone. He's just a glaring example. Uh, Mamalo didn't try and tackle anyone on the weekend at all. It, it was basically waving him through. He was awful. And like it, that it, was that terrible. was one of the worst performances I've seen this year, and it, it bears mentioning because he, he gave up. He, he was not up. even. There was a pass that I feel like it was Luke Brooks, but I might be wrong, so I apologise to Luke Brooks if I am. But there was a pass that was errant that kind of didn't go to the centre, went in between the centre and and Mamolo, and went behind Mamolo. And it sort of bounced towards the sideline. He didn't even run to get it. And it was 10 metres from the sideline. He just sort of jogged after it and let it go over, knowing it was going over and turned the ball over. And that was, that was their set. That, that is his game in a nutshell on the weekend for Mamolo. Yeah. You know, he got stepped by Nakora and Nakora thought it was so soft that he, he looked turned back, back to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like he beat him so easily. He didn't try and he, it was such a bad effort that Nakora turned around and was like, you serious, mate? Like actually like smirked at him as in like, what on earth are you doing scoring it? Which I've never seen before. Like, honestly, I've never seen a player be like, that was pathetic. <laughs> to a guy trying to tackle him. Well, I think he was um, waiting for the whistle. I thought that he thought, oh, did Mamola get taken out by yeah, another like, runner yeah, or something? That, that's right. But it was so bad, but no, they are dead. And I don't, I'm, 
I'm not sitting here blaming the coach entirely, to be honest with you. Um, what I'm, but he does, he, someone has to bear responsibility for signing the players. And if it's not the coach, then who is it? And the other thing is that it doesn't matter whose fault it is. We get too caught up in whose fault it is. The bottom line is it's not working and it obviously and needs a improve. circuit breaker. Like, yeah, it, it, needs to, it needs a circuit breaker. So you go, oh, well, who would we get to coach? And you're like, okay, that's a fair question. But Madge has got worse every season with his results. Um, Ivan Cleary's starting to look pretty good for getting him to ninth a couple of times, right? Like, we joke, but like... It's oh, look, like, I'm sure they yeah. wanted to keep him. Look, me and Persa yeah. went through the Tigers in depth a couple of weeks yeah. ago. So I don't want to get back on that. But we said, that, we said at the time, you know, it's basically what you've said. It's, it's not Madge's fault. He's getting no. too much of the blame. He's getting scapegoated, but he still has to go because they yeah. both need a change and neither of them are going to get the results that either of them need to get so no, I agree and the other thing is you can't trust him to turn it around because he keeps like if he watched last year and thought the answer was well he, they got Ken Mamalo mid-year but he's one if, if they were watching what they did last year and the year before and thought Ken Mamalo coming in Peachy coming in a center from England coming in if, if these were all the answers that he thought would help improve this year then it just goes to show that he doesn't get it um and I, I've watched stuff even they're good players I watched Dane Laurie in round one not chase someone when they scored in the corner. Like he did the soft walk across and let them run around him to score under the post. So like, that's a little thing, but it was so noticeable to me as a footy fan. Like the guy scored wide and Laurie comes across and just walks at him, makes no effort to hustle into the corner. And the guy just loops around him and goes under the post. And that's even happening now with their talented players. Like that's not an old lazy Mamalo or he's not that old, but you know what I mean? Like yep. a guy who's been around forever. It's, it's a young guy with talent and you're like, these habits are going to get ingrained into them as well. Yeah. And they, they just need to break the circuit, but no matter what they do, I don't care. You know, no one they sign will fix it this year. And it's a couple of years away from being anything good. Put it that way. Yeah. They've got to look long-term. And I made the comment two weeks ago and I agree after another two rounds of football, watching them that it isn't just magic. It has to go. It's, it's the entire place. Um, yep. The Sharks have been impressive to finish up on the round review for four to five. They've, I think they've been a little bit underrated at times, even though they are getting looked at a lot more. I sort of said that they're definite top eights for me pre-season. I'd go as far to say that they've even got a top four chance, depending on if teams fall over or whatever. But the impressive thing for me is that they're 48 to four across rounds, four to five. Um, And it's that four that's the biggest deal. They've got one of the best defensive units in the comp now. Um, And the the attack doesn't necessarily come as much as it should, but the defense being there like it is so quickly is is a Fitzgibbon staple. He's a very good defensive coach. Really good to see it rounds four to five. Let's move on to some other topics, Luke. Um, A couple of positive ones, because I want to make sure that we do cover some positive things. We don't want to just sound like that we're uh, (laughs) talking footy and having a, the general malaise on the things wrong with the game or things that we're not liking. And look, NRLW grand final, I thought was fantastic. Um, the Roosters ran out winners 16-4, which is probably why I thought it was fantastic because obviously I'm a Roosters fan. But you know, it was it was a really good game, and it was four nil at the half. The Dragons, uh, and then the Roosters came over the top in the second half, which is what they did the um, year, uh, the week before against the Broncos to get into the grand final. So it was a really good second half by the Roosters. I enjoyed the game. A few highlights for me. Um, one of them was the Brisbane Broncos have dominated the NRLW, right? There's, this is the first team other than them that's actually won it. So I think that's great. And I think it talks to the growth of the NRLW. We had some expansion with some new teams being added again now. Um, and that's going to keep adding in the next couple of years. And with that, you need other teams winning aside from Brisbane. And that just happened with the Roosters and the Dragons. You know, the Broncos didn't even make the grand final. So that's great. 
Um, Isabel Kelly, I, I thought that she was fantastic. And, you know, you don't often get to see a lot of stats coming out of the NRLW at the moment, a lot of the mainstream media, but Isabel Kelly scored a, a great try, um, but she also passed 2,000 run metres and she passed that in the first half, which is the first time in NRL history anyone's passed the, the magic 2,000 metre mark. Never been done before. So a couple of big highlights. Uh, and the last one for the Dragons, um, I thought that Jamie Soward um, coached the, the Dragons team um, and they also had the Dahlia medalist in their team as well. Both of them deserve a lot of credit. Um, obviously, all the girls are the ones doing the hard work on the field, but someone like Jamie Soward is a big get to coach. And I'll selfishly say that I had an NBA podcast that I started to run and it was meant to be with Jamie Soward. And then the week before, he got he got the job offer from the Dragons and actually pulled out on me because he had to do this job instead. And I was like, ah, but yeah, he's done well and got all the way to the grand final and he's a Dragons great. So all in all, you know, good growth for the NRLW, Luke. And, you know, your Knights just got recently added and you've got like a, a big catchment area in Newcastle as well. So I'm sure that growth is going to continue in the next couple of years there too. So all in all, I think it's growing quite well and certainly a lot better than what it was a few years ago. Yeah, it seems pretty good. Like I haven't got a chance to watch much of it yet. Um, not because I'm avoiding to or have anything against watching it. I just haven't had, you know, I watch all, it's like eight games a week as it is. So I haven't got the time to watch the extra, but some of the highlights and things show that the standard looks to be pretty, pretty solid and good. And it's got a bit of a super league element to it that because it's a bit less professional than the NRL and the, you know, a bit less wrestle and tackle and all that, you get to see some quite open and exciting play i've always known that when you watch the super league you see some weird stuff happen because guys fall off tackles and you know there's more gaps and that seems to happen in the women's game too which is actually like good to watch and you get to see some really exciting runs and play that you don't always see um in the quite you know regimented nrl comp so um i'm keen to have a look at it they're starting to play the knights before the knights games this year a couple of times so i'm keen to get there early next year and watch a couple of that continues yeah, and the Knights are making some good signings and um, and looking at growing the game a lot in the Hunter region too, which is great. Mm. So well done to the Roosters, NRLW team, fantastic win, um, historical win too because Brisbane didn't win it. And well done to the Dragons too just for making it there and, um, the, and the Broncos not being there, which is not a slight on the Broncos, but it's good to see <laughs> other teams being successful and competitive too. So Dragons and Roosters in NRLW, well done. Uh, another big well done too on the next topic, and this is a sad one um, for the Melbourne Storm. Their uh, chairman, Matt Tripp, uh, very sadly, his daughter passed away from a battle with leukaemia. She was only 14 years old. Um, But I just thought, you know, again, when we're trying to highlight the positives in rugby league as well, the Storm just did a fantastic job on the weekend. You know, they didn't just wear the armbands. They had the cheerleaders there. They had everything. But, you know, the stories that are coming out from it, you know, everyone would have noticed that Big Nelson Asafa Solomona uh, had his hair coloured like red and blue and all, all different shades. Um, and that was because him and Pappenhausen, you know, spent a lot of time, especially the last couple of weeks, visiting Bella in hospital. And and Bella said to Naz that, um, or, or Naz said to Bella, you know, colour in this picture and whatever you do it as, that's that's what I'll put my hair as. Uh, and he went went ahead and did that. And, and you know, these guys, not just a storm, but certainly with this, you know, even people that aren't close to the club, a lot of the teams spend a lot of time um, in children's wards and things that you don't get to see enough. And, and they all do this sort of stuff for a lot of kids that are struggling with these sort of things. So I just thought it was a real positive takeaway from round five that the Storm um, did that tribute and how they all handled it and the players took so much time out of their days in the last couple of months and the sort of things that especially Pappenhausen and, um, and Big Naz did. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, it's, you know, you remember they're 
they're all people and you see, you know, they do some stupid stuff and some negative stuff, but there's a lot of people that do a lot of positive things and as well. And it was obviously something that impact, you could tell it, it meant a lot to them as well. It's not something they were doing to tick off a box. There mm. was, clearly was a lot of emotion in it for them. And um, yeah, it's obviously a sad situation, but I thought they handled it really well. And, um, you know, you'd like to just feel pretty, it's just an awful story really, isn't it? It's a shame that it's a shame that it happened to be complimented, but they certainly handled it really well and did a great job. Yep. So well done to the Storm and, and particularly Big Naz for um, for standing up and doing all that. Next topic is back to the footy on the field and back to the controversy as well because, you know, there, there is always going to be plenty of that in, the, in what we're talking about. Latrell Mitchell, he's just gotten injured again. Um, and look, it's it was thought to be a minor hamstring injury. It's now seen as a bit more serious. Um, the difference is from NRL Physio explained it quite well, but certainly the um, trainer from Melbourne as well spoke about it and there's been a few people. But basically, you know, the hamstring, you, you can do the muscle or you can do it on the tendon and it was on the tendon, which makes it uh, a bit of a longer process for it to heal. So eight weeks, you know, South's already a reeling from no Reynolds. Uh, Cody Walker's been out of form. They just, they were never going to be winning games as easily as what they were last year. Gagai left as well on that edge, which was really important for them. But the Latrell injury out for eight weeks puts a lot of pressure on South. But in the media, um, one of the things that's come out the last couple of days, and it's something that I've thought for a while, Luke, so I don't want to sound like I'm jumping on the media bandwagon because I've said this for a while now. Is it a bigger problem with Latrell's injury history? Now, since Latrell has been at South, he's missed 43% of his games over a few years. And... He's barely played finals football. I don't think he's played any finals, actually. I'm trying to remember. Um, but he, he's been out for almost half of their games, which is a big deal. Um, now, when you're looking at the injuries, like there's a lot of leg injuries involved. And even going back to his Roosters days, you know, he had various um, leg injuries at times. The guy's listed at six foot four, 102 kilos. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing Latrell, so <laughs> I'll fully say... I think he's a phenomenal player and he's he's one of, when he's on, he's one of the best players in the competition. Um, and he certainly is really important for Souths and he's a superstar. And people also forget that he's only 24. So I'm going to say all this stuff, but bear in mind that I remember he's only 24 and he can get a lot better and he can improve. And as a football fan, I'd like him to. But we've got to be honest about it. You know, he's listed at 102 kilos and six foot four. He has not turned up to one preseason for several years at 102 kilos. <laughs> he's not 102 kilos. <laughs> he's not 102 when he's fit. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's like 110 plus when he's fit. And at, at preseasons, he's 115 or 120 easy in some of those preseasons when he has been unfit. Now, I, I don't want to go overcritical, but if you're a professional rugby league player and you you are doing that to yourself and turning up unfit in pre-seasons, you are much more susceptible to injuries. Tearing your hamstring is, as has been said a few times in the last couple of days, you know, that is uh, that is a fatigue injury a lot of the time. Um, and certainly lower leg injuries are much more prevalent and certainly more prevalent in severity if you are a larger frame than what you should be with what you're trying to do. Now, if you're trying to be a fullback in the NRL, you've got to run a lot of metres, more than what anyone else on the field needs to. And it's been well documented that Latrell hasn't had the work rate that you want at times from a fullback and been well documented at times. Um, defensively, he's had lapses because he just hasn't gotten to places fast enough or he's been fatigued. All that comes into the same stuff and all that does feed into some of this injury stuff. And I don't care what anyone says. If you, you, know, if you could reduce your injury impact by 10% by being fitter, 
then you do it. And if you're a professional rugby league player, that's one of the best in the world. You 100% do it if you want to win premierships. So, you know, some will say 24 is, you know, still very young and it is. So he does, that does mean that he has time to improve, but it also means that he's been in the league for six years now. That's long enough to start to be a bit more professional. So I'm going to be a bit critical of Latrell because I do think it's a factor. I do think it's something that is part of his maturity and growing up. And I do think that he'd be a lot better player for it, but if he doesn't do it, I'll finish on this Luke because I'm interested to see how much of it you disagree with because a lot of people disagree with me on this. You know, he's, he's a great athletic player. But you know why his athleticism still wins through and, and still works for him? It's because he is only 24. And, you know, you see it coming through just playing park footy. You know, you see these guys that don't train enough. They meet pies before a game and everything and all this stuff. But their natural footy ability, it doesn't matter. And they've still got their speed. You know, I used to play with a couple of guys and it was amazing how fast they were. Like they, they were lightning and yet they didn't train. You know, they had really poor eating habits. They, but you know what happened? they hit their mid-20s and they couldn't do it anymore. And they just have this big fall off. And I'm really worried as a football fan that that's going to be coming for Latrell. Your athleticism can only last so long and then it becomes your hard work and professionalism that takes over that keeps you up to the speed and the athleticism that you need to be at for the game to be at that top level. And I'm worried that Latrell is not going to be there if he doesn't start to change some things in your game and preparation. Yeah, it's fair enough. Um, I think the numbers are a little bit misleading because he got a giant suspension last year. So he wasn't injured like at the key end of last year. He did miss the finals, but it's because he, that, you know, fractured someone's face, um, not because he was, he was um, injured. So that, you know, makes a difference because it's, you can, it's easy to say he played no finals and that sounds terrible, but, but one of them was for a long suspension, not because he was unavailable. For, one yeah. of them was. That's so, yeah, very true. You know, that's, yep. that, changes the picture a little bit if he had played last year it would sound a lot less worse you know when you say that so you say um, you're missing a 30 year game studio yeah because i think it's around 30 percent yeah injured. yeah so it's like it's again it's not nothing and it's not that's not good either but it, it does you know change the, the picture a little bit um i think you know I, I was only thinking the other day that he suffers from the opposite problem to what kalen ponga does and to me it's that kalen ponga is this is perfect off the field he trains the house down, he shows up with a six pack. He does the perfect diet. He's an absolute darling when he talks to the media. You know what I mean? Like he, he can just say exactly what he should say. Um, he says all the right things at training. When we go out on the field, he doesn't want it. And Latrell Mitchell gets out on the field and is a real competitor. When the game's hard and there's a big game on and stuff, he fires up and he wants it heaps bad and tries to influence results, but he doesn't do any of the stuff Caitlin Plunkett does off the field in terms of his diet and his preparation and all these things. And if you put them together, you probably have Trevojevic or James Tedesco. Um, That's that's the difference, right? um, And I would rather have the the trail side of things. I think the way he tries to influence results and, and win games and he's desired to do that when it matters. Um, you know, I, he certainly came up with the winning play in one grand final and he was pretty dominant in the other one in bathing chambers. Um, he's been big in origin. So I'm pretty fond of him. Um, I think I take what you're saying. It's a hard, it's just so hard with hamstrings because once you do one, you're so prone that it's just hard to gauge. Uh, I would like to see him show up fitter. If I was a South fan, I'd like to say, like to at least know he was giving himself the best chance. Um, Travoyevich was wearing shoes, different sizes. He was seeing experts overseas. He was having all sorts of, doing everything and still kept doing it. Um, So there's no guarantees, but you'd like to know it. It, 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 you just want to know that you're left no stone unturned. That would be, if I was the South, I'd like to know all of that. Um, 
as to whether it's a worry, it's it, it's a worry. If I was going for South, I worry about it, and I worry that you won't have him for key games. But it's also just one of those things that you almost can't. It's a bit like Turbo. You're like, I worry about that too, but you just can't not have him. <laughs> like, he's so good. You just sort of got to have him um, in your team, particularly at the moment with the way he's playing. You just got to – South just have to hope he stays fit because if you go, right, oh, well, he's going to miss all these games. We'll go and sign someone else. There's just no – the amount of players that can do what he do is like it's about five um, and they're not going anywhere, you know. Like the other teams aren't letting go of those players. Um, so, it's a, you know, it's a rock and a hard place. He's, he's imperfect – He's he's so good, and I really respect the desire he has when he plays. I hate when we're playing against him because he's he's got he's mouthy and he shoves and everything, and it makes me angry mm. when I'm going against them. But I love it for New South Wales, you know. Like I love that aggression and everything. Um, but he does need to look after himself off the field, and and you only need to look to Greg Inglis. I know how cheap it is to talk about um, it compare Inglis to Mitchell, but uh, Greg, oh, it's a, Greg, it's Greg a really Inglis good comparison. Was, oh, Greg Inglis got heavier and heavier every year. Um, and the last few years of Greg Inglis's career were superstar by proxy, honestly. Like he was known as a superstar 100%. because yep. he was still Greg Inglis. He was doing nothing. He couldn't play fullback anymore. He couldn't play center all that well anymore. He could show up to origin and bash a few people and, and lead because you can do it a couple of times. But over a season, he was just doing absolutely nothing for South. And doesn't the output was was no good. And he's one of the best players, you know, I've ever seen. Like he was fantastic. He'd be in the top 20 players I've ever seen play. Um, comfortably one of the best in multiple positions that you've ever seen play. But it, he, after they won the grand final, um, the knees, the shoulders and the weight, you know, because the weight doesn't help when you start to get those chronic injuries either. They, they, they did blow out and he didn't have the length of career that, that Slaters and those guys were able to have, who also had injuries, but did all the right stuff to come back from them. So not just for Latrell, but for everyone, that's really important. And certainly it will become a factor later. But um, as for the moment, I, I think, you know, they, they need to, work with him on those things but I just uh, with the injury stuff it's just even hard to know if it'll make much difference it's just a an unfortunate thing he seems to keep having and I, a little bit has to be on South right because apparently the word was that Taff was picked on the bench over Havili because Latrell went in with a hamstring complaint and why you would take Latrell Mitchell into round five with a hamstring complaint to beat the Dragons is just about beyond me. Surely it's cotton wool stuff, right? Like, what, why were they? If he was yeah, in any doubt, why you would they, think they so. literally had a bench fullback? Apparently, they said Taff got in over Havili because of concerns about the fitness of Mitchell with with the hamstring. Like his hamstring was tight, and you're like, I given that it's like an eight week, six to eight week injury, if it gets it bad and it's a couple of weeks at best, and even at best, you're still at risk of doing it again. I I don't really understand why he was put out there to be honest yeah I, I i read about that too and saw some of the comments on that and i, I sort of took it being in one of two ways like some of it mm. could i could definitely agree with you on um with south but the other some of the other stuff i read on it was that they were concerned about latrell's fitness and, and part of that was you know with his hamstring and stuff because he'd had problems with it before and part of me also went on the other side of it and sort of said well like if Souths are concerned about his part of that's his fitness, right? Like you're having mm. to put a fullback on your bench because you're worried about Latrell being injured and you know that he's not fit. So, I mean, you can go with that narrative as well, which mm. isn't good if you're needing to do that. And I would say part of it's on South because, you know, I think one of the things that happened at the Roosters quite a bit is that Latrell got told no quite a bit and he got disciplined a bit. And at times he didn't like it. And certainly, you know, he got dropped. People forget he got dropped to reserve grade when he was actually playing reasonably well. But Robinson needed to make a point. And he actually spent a few weeks in reserve grade playing for Wyong. 
you know, it's something that South doesn't do. And South always defends Luttrell and seem, and they make it seem like he's got nothing to work on and it's never a problem. Whereas, you know, there's, it's a bit non-politically correct, but someone like Ricky Stewart notoriously had his fat, his fat camps at the start of each season, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it was like, well, Josh Papali, if you're going to keep turning up fat, you're going to be in fat camp and you're going to have to come in a week earlier than everyone else and you're going to have to meet milestones, you're going to have to lose weight and you've got a problem, you know. Like, I oh, sort of it, think that yeah. clubs need to need to kind of demand this type of stuff because it's professionalism, right? And it, it, mm. it stops if, like, literally someone who doesn't take kindly to the negative media, and I fully get it, like, it would suck having to take some of what Luttrell does, and some of it's unwarranted. But you know what stops it? You know, don't turn up every preseason, and then people aren't going to laugh about it or criticise you. Yeah, it, it, it will be an issue for South, and it's an issue Newcastle have at the moment in another way. But it's also, a, there's an issue with their coaching is that they have two very superstar players, Walker and Mitchell, who are, I think it would be fair to say, um, high maintenance. Yes. Um, and and in the way that you need to get them on the same page. Um, and, you know, I, what they say Wayne cuddled them, and that's fine. That was a different approach to what Robinson did with, with Latrell, but whatever works, like whatever gets him playing well. But with a rookie coach, I, you know, they're the sorts of players who might push the boundaries a little bit. Mm. Um, and you need to be able to rip into them and tear them into line or have another way of going, whatever it is. Wayne had a level of respect. I don't think they able to tip the boundary with Wayne. Like there's a line and I don't think they'd get me crossing it in terms of not preparing properly or anything like that um, or in blowing up at training. And, you know, you saw things with him getting in a fight at training with, with, with one of the back rowers a while ago. And none of that's a big deal, but I suspect it would be a lot easier to keep that all um, from becoming an issue when you have someone with Wayne's gravitas there. And it's a tough job for a rookie coach to pull guys into line. So that'll be interesting to see how it develops. And, and the same thing, like that's a problem at Newcastle is that we have the same issue is that everyone, Adam O'Brien just keeps telling Caelan Ponga how well he's going. He keeps saying he's worth the money. We, we love him. Um, he gives us so much. He's so good at training. He's doing everything right. Um, and you just think that, like, you know, uh, if, if he doesn't have the runs on the board to do this, but it wouldn't hurt someone to say, Caelan, you're just behaving like a dick and, you, and, <laughs> and, 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 and get the ball. Like, you remember the, the Origin game where Gay Guy came off and, like, had the great game for Queensland and Wayne was like, can we shove that jersey under your South one? And and, and like that sort of thing, like someone should go to like Kalen, they should do the video review and he should say, hey champ, any chance of running the ball? Like rather than telling him how good he is and and not to get on the nights, but it's the same thing. Sometimes you do have to tell players like like Latrell and Cody at the moment and and, and Ponga that they're not going well and it's hard for rookie coaches. So that's a big job for um, for their coach, um, I'm not saying he's not up to it either, but it's a, it, managing superstars is a big part of it because quite often people that are amazingly talented still need they need to be managed often more so. So, um, so you're saying there should be some subtle, out. some subtle Wayne like jibes to get Latrell going, like in the in the preseason <laughs> well, have a. Have someone yeah. knock on his door with well, a delivery well, and a treadmill get put into his lounge room or something? <laughs> everyone does it differently, right? Like Phil Gould came out and said that he didn't think Andrew Johns would make... In 2003, he was like, I'm not sure Joey will even be picked. He's not going well. And he said, Joey didn't talk to him for eight weeks. And then they won. He got played like... They absolutely roasted Queensland and he was man of the match and all this stuff. Because Joey was furious he did it. But Gus like thought he needed a rev up, mm. right? And he was the best... He was like the 
known best player in the world at that point. Um, whereas Des Hasler was just delivering meals to Moses Suley's house or having someone deliver breakfast, lunch and dinner every day for two years. So he didn't shame him, he didn't carry on, he just got the food there. So whatever you got to do, and it's not always weight, it can be all sorts of things, but I'm just saying you've got to manage people yep. and work out how to get the best out of them. And it's a tough job for a rookie coach to have a couple of high-profile players who probably need a bit of management working out how to get the best out of them and how to get them all on the same page. So it'll be a, something he has to work out over the next few years. Yeah, definitely. And look, it, whatever works, I think you've said a couple of times, yeah. and it's true, but at the moment we don't have anything that's worked as far as um, his fitness levels at the start of seasons. And I 100%, I'm, I'm always a believer in professional sport. It, people talk about the 1% cliche, but if, if you can improve something 1%, you do it. So it's like if Mitchell can improve his injury by 1% by, you know, being fit and professional in the off-season or turning up to off-season training in a, in a good shape, then, yeah, you just do it. So I just don't understand that stuff. But I don't want to sound like it's a Latrell bashing. I've already said I think that he's one of the best players in the, in the league when he's on. He's, he's, fantastic a, he's a fantastic yeah. player already. But yeah, you've got, so challenge, <laughs> you've got to challenge yourself to be better. Like, why not, why not challenge to be the best player in the league? Why not win a Dally M? You know, these are the type of things that you need to be thinking about. And part of that is his injuries, missing games, and, and how he's turning up and his conditioning and stuff. I'm going to throw out a way out solution before we move on. I like out-of-the-box thinking in rugby league, and you're seeing it in park footy and stuff, and I kind of really dig it, but you do see it in lower grades. But people at professional level, they don't they don't really want to do the out-of-the-box stuff because they're scared of failure and coaches lose their jobs over it. But so why don't you play... Latrell Mitchell in attack uh, as your fullback because that's obviously the, the big issue, right? If you move him from fullback, then you lose all the attacking stuff that he gives you and it's really important. But when you don't have the ball, why not put him in the defensive line out wide where he doesn't have to cover the metres behind the line, he's not chasing kicks and stuff, and you can put an Alex Johnston there. So you can kind of hide him. Um, it, that might be a, an in-between where you're not going to lose the fullback stuff that he gives you when you've got the ball. Um, but he's not going to have as many miles on him running around and chasing the defensive line as well um, when you don't have the ball. So I know it's pretty far out. I'm not sure it will work myself either, but it is just something that I thought about because a lot of people have said, well, if you move into centre, you negate all the good stuff and the things that Souths need when you've got the ball. And it's, it's very much true, Luke. But is that a bit too out of the box? No, not at all. I said that two years ago that they should be doing that. They should, when he was still a centre, I was like, he should just attack from fullback. Like Joey Manu's doing it at the moment a fair bit. I know they've already got a fullback, but he comes in field and roams. Today, uh, Turbo does it at, at Origin, but no, he should actually play proper fullback and attack and have a rest. Uh, I mean, he could also just get fit enough to do it, but um, there is an argument that you don't, honestly, that you don't want him so cardio fit that he loses a lot of that power. So, uh, and uh, you want him fitter than now, but you don't want him you probably don't want him stick skinny because a lot of his power is from being thick and, and strong. So I, I would do that. Um, I say the same all the time with, say, the Knights, right? If they want to play Dane guy, gay guy at centre, that's fine. But why doesn't he drop back for kick returns? Because he's just one of the best, you know, mm. strongest carriers in the game. There's all sorts of little things coaches should do. And I, I don't see them as left field or out of the box. There's no particular reason why your fullback has to defend there like your, your best link player might be someone who wants to have a spell in the centers and someone else can organize the defensive line and I don't see anything wrong with that I and mean, Benji Marshall used to defend on the wing when he came through because he was so little um, and the game was different then you wouldn't defend someone little on the wing now but back then you did like right it wasn't as big a thing you know putting him on, on a little winger 
Um, and then he used to also bring the ball back from fullback in the first couple of years, like when he was really young and, and zany. He was playing 5'8", but they'd let him go and bring the ball back from wing and fullback so he could dance around and skip people. And there's no reason, no one will, but there's no reason things like that shouldn't be done. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a decent solution that maybe should be considered. And I don't think it's going to take away much from Souths at all. I think it's going to actually give them more and also give Luchelle a bit more leverage than what he does have with the miles he has to cover and all that sort of stuff. Look, we need to take a moment now just to stop for a second uh, and mention the fantastic partner of the NRL All-Stars podcast in Top Sport. If you don't know Top Sport, they're a 100% Australian-owned bookmaker. You've got fantastic Australian-based service from them. You can go to topsport.com.au to have a look or you can download their Top Sport app. But certainly some of the best odds in market all the time. NRL, they also have some fantasy betting markets as well now, which is great. You can go over and under on different fantasy scoring. You can also bet on all the NRL markets, but also great markets in racing as well. NBA playoffs just started this week. You can go for those as well. So get on top sport, but certainly do it responsibly. But use a promo code from this podcast to make sure they know you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. And that promo code for this podcast is SC All Stars, all one word, SC All Stars. Create an account today with SC All Stars as your promo code and get on top sport. Last topic for part one of this podcast, Luke. Payne Haas, a couple of things have happened the last two weeks and probably two separate things. One is his suspension. So he's now been suspended for a week from having a a bit of a spat with with Albert Kelly. Um, And the other thing that's happened as well in the last couple of weeks is he decided that his 800K upgrade on his existing deal wasn't enough and he's looking for a million dollars. By the way, he's contracted until 2024. So two different things there. I'm going to hit on the suspension first. I thought it was fine for him to get suspended for a game. I actually expect him to get suspended for two. Um, I do disagree quite heavily with people that are saying it doesn't matter and it's nothing and he shouldn't get suspended. In the last 12 months, he's got multiple incidents. You know, this is a guy who um, not just wouldn't cooperate with his police when there was a family altercation and they're at his house. He also then refused to cooperate or even speak to the NRL integrity unit, which by the way, is part of his contract as an NRL player to do so. Uh, and then copped it for that as well. Um, he also, on a separate incident, you know, a bit of a drunken incident as well, um, abused police, wouldn't cooperate with them, and, and really quite terribly abused a female police officer, of which he's still on a good behaviour bond, which means the next stop for him is if he has a, a reasonable legal issue is that he can be put in jail because of his current good behaviour bond in New South Wales. So people forget these things that have only happened the last couple, of, the, the last 12 months. He's actually got a checkered career now for a young guy that hasn't been in the NRL for that long with both behavioural and decision-making issues. And it's a maturity that has to be there if you are the face of your club that was considered a potential captain, um, but certainly the face of the league is like probably the best prop in the NRL at the moment. You know, you're a senior player in that club in the NRL. So if you put all that together and you kind of get into a bit of a fight out the front of your team hotel while you're basically on a work trip, it is an issue um, and it, perception is a massive issue for the NRL as it is. And even if it wasn't, it would still be an issue. And the thing that I saw thrown around about that by a couple of people is, well, what are you meant to do if Albert Kelly's being a pest? And what have, you know, what a lot of adults do in that situation. They just walk away. <laughs> if he walked away, there wouldn't have been an issue. And that would have actually been the good leadership side of him maturing if he did that, but he didn't do that, you know? So I, I'm not being too, I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world that he did. And I think that he wouldn't, by all accounts, he was not getting a suspension at all if he didn't, if he didn't have, you know, the prize that he's got. So before we even get to the contract part, Luke, 
you know, are you with me on, you know, you needed to be suspended or you, you did nothing wrong and he shouldn't have gotten anything? Um, look, cumulatively, I have no problem with them probably suspending him given he keeps getting into trouble, but I didn't, I don't really care about this particular incident overly. Like I don't, I'm not, you know, given that all the other stuff, I, I can sell them just saying he has to have a week to sort of just, you probably just can't let him now do anything that's a bad look. Um, because it's just adding to it. But I'm, I'm not, I, I couldn't cop a lot of the hysteria about what happened either though. Like not that it's like, oh, it's great. Like, cause you're right. It would be good leadership to walk away and that would be a good face of the Broncos and everything. But it does bother me a little bit sometimes when the NRL starts just getting involved in anything that like is a slightly bad look for them. Like, oh, it's not a great look that he was a bit aggressive and stuff and swearing. And you're like, yeah, okay, it isn't. But at the same time, there's going to be some sort of line before you swipe up your integrity units are looking into everything people everyone does it seems like we blow up what happens into a very big deal uh, short answer i don't really care that he's suspended he's done actual bad like i think the cop thing last year was actually quite bad um and they could have gone hard i already got off light yeah, with yeah. that last so that's year right. yeah. so if you just look at it and say look this guy just keeps getting in trouble and he wouldn't cooperate with us and this is you know the police thing was aggressive too so this is another bout of aggression. So if you want to say, look, we, we, you keep having these issues with aggression, then yeah, okay. I, I don't mind them warning him that he needs to keep it in check because otherwise if you just keep ignoring it, then a big thing happens and then you have to give him 10 weeks and it's a terrible look. Like I get that. But well, it's a pattern yeah, of behavior. That's right. And- but, but at the same time, I do think that at some point we've just got to calm the hell down about the integrity units looking in to, to every little thing that happens that's like, just sort of a bad look there sort of needs to be a day where it's like okay if this is criminal behavior yes there's a certain code of a certain standard of behavior we expect to be upheld that might be a bit short of the criminal law maybe but we just can't have everything that makes a guy look like a bit of a wanker or is not really a great look can't just be a basis for the game like commissioning videotapes and holding week-long investigations like they're the police it's just a bit you know i half agree with you the half of me that doesn't would say that um, I think that that's required because it was only a very short clip and we didn't see a beginning or end to it. So my like my first question, and I had this chat with a couple of people, was, well, how do you know that there wasn't a full-on brawl straight after that? Because it was escalating to that and, like, the clip finished and they sort of went off, you know, around the corner type of thing. So yeah. you need to know well, well, that there was a good point. That that didn't oh, can I answer that? Because I think that's the point. Yeah. If, you, if no one saw it and it didn't come out, like it flat out didn't come out, I just think it's maybe not the game's role to go like to try and find out if that happened like seriously like it's it's like if it didn't if no one has heard about it at all and it hasn't been seen and nobody has made that allegation like nobody's come forward and said there was a brawl none of that's happened i think the line is like why do they keep investigating every slight rumor or complaint of slight misconduct that ever happens because it's not actually missed like it's bad leadership and if i was the broncos i don't like it and i would talk to him about representing our organization differently but like is it seriously behavior that that a code of the state that people are like that is disgraceful and needs to be investigated by the nrl and i'm like i just don't know that if it comes out deal with it but why do they need to uncover something that's not been alleged looked into or anything else there's no allegation but didn't it come out like didn't isn't the video proof that that people saw it and that that something happened but you don't know what happened, so you need to well, you need to have a grasp of, of what happened well, yeah. to be able to make any decision on it. Because, I mean, like, you know, 
it could be anything. Just because it wasn't yeah. all recorded doesn't mean that, you know, it didn't happen. And it being recorded shows that somebody actually saw it. Yeah, well, what's happened. there? They I can mean, look at what's there. But, I mean, it's just a, it just seems to me that I, I just, it's almost like they are almost like a pseudo-police at the moment. They're always like, oh, there's been an allegation of this. We're going to, like, requisition all of these things and have two-week investigation to see how inappropriate it was that a prop shoved a halfback at a party. I think it goes for far too long. Uh, And, uh, like, I'll say that it it does go for too long. They need to be able to make these calls a bit quicker. Um, I don't inherently have the same problem as you with the Integrity Unit investigating I'll tell you what it is. In in short, I, I say headline test. Give, you have to give it a fake, like you have to give it like slightly sarcastic, but you have to give it a basic headline and see if it passes the pub test. And this one is prop shoves front row or outside pub. And that just, I look at that yeah. and I'm like, no, that doesn't matter. Like, and if you can run the headline and if it's like prop, like racially abuses, prop punches, prop does it. But when it's like NRL prop shoves halfback and swears it in outside pub and that's your headline, I'm like, nah. Not not important. I would say part, important. part of the integrity unit investigation, though, is to stop those headlines, right? Because they want to control the narrative. Because you know as well as I do, if you let the media just run rampant and you don't actually give them anything, it'll be like, you know, it'll just keep going on and on where the media will talk about it and they will ask those questions. You know, well, you know, was this a was this a brawl where other players and they'll in the media will investigate it themselves. So you kind of rather control the narrative to say no. We've investigated. So the, to me, the NRL is almost forced to do this, to be able to have the PR exercise of saying, we've looked at it, it's fine, this is what it is, this is what he's getting. Uh, but uh, to your wider point, you know, I do agree that, I, like, I have issues with the whole integrity unit thing as well. What I would like to see is it to be uh, um, clubs be able to internally discuss this with the integrity unit and manage their own house, which I think is what you're getting at as well. Like there isn't really any need for the integrity unit to speak about it unless it's a real big issue or unless they're unhappy with what the club has done. So realistically, you, I would have expected if you want to have the integrity unit out of it a bit, that they're an internal exercise that nobody hears about. And the Broncos come out and says, right, we've done, we've had a look at this. There was an incident. This is what's happened. The NRL have been notified of it and Payne Huss is going to get one week suspension along with Albert Kelly and these are their fines. And by the way, it gets wrapped up and reported within 48 hours. You know, I, I think that's a lot cleaner. The integrity unit's still there, but you don't really have them coming out like, you know, what you were saying is maybe an issue. Yeah, I, I think so. It, it just, yeah, if I was Brisbane, I'd be going like, look, you know, we're a very big organisation. We've got a lot of fans. You're a key player here and you're a key person here and we just need you to like, get on with everyone like it's a real workplace like i mean like i in my workplace i'm relatively senior and i just need to get on with people i can't shove them and whatever because it's we need to work right and and that's the conversation i would have with him and it's almost there but we've become such a big issue when you're like oh the entire competition's integrity commission is reviewing footage and looking into the incident and spending a week to come up with a you know a ruling on whether it should be suspended and you're like mate like the guy shoved a guy outside a pub it's not a great look for the broncos it's also not that big of a deal like just deal with it and get Mm. on with it and just stop this like it, it, it's, uh, it's almost it is you said PR exercise and that's almost my problem with it is it's like do you care about this or is this some like this really is basically a PR exercise and it isn't that forced by the media though like well, I was saying before like you can't just you can't if they want to run with it all they will anyway and you can say stuff like we reviewed it it's, we don't consider it all that serious that's the end of our comment on it go away write whatever you want for the next two weeks you're going mm. to anyway and are you really going to stop bagging rugby league players and say they're all angels and they never do anything wrong just because we suspended him no you're going to continue to run these stories all the time and we're just going to say 
Um, and the Milford one is a good example at the moment, who's come out and basically, by the evidence, doesn't seem to have done basically anything wrong. Um, and he's yep. been suspended for a long period of time, been treated like trash by South, and the NRL sanctioned all that because it was a bad look. It was a bad look that he was charged with offences and they weren't prepared, having seen the footage and seen that he didn't do what he was accused of. They weren't prepared to do the right thing because they were more worried that if they did the right thing, it'd look shitty in the media. And I'm just saying sometimes you just can do, you can just say, this isn't a big deal, write whatever you want about us and just get on with it. And that is a that is yeah. a wider issue that we're not going to get into in this podcast, but I 100% agree with that. It's, it's just that Haas, we know what yeah. he did and he got the zero to one week, yeah. which is what I think was fair for sure. Um, but yeah, definitely a wider issue because I hate that stuff too. And I think that Milford was hard done by um, based on what we know now. And and I do not like the, the stand down policies that we currently have at times as well. Um, everyone listening, that is the end of part one of the podcast. Part two, we're going to continue on with the second part of the Payne Haas discussion with his contract and players trying to get ups on their contracts and a whole heap of other things. So definitely watch out for the next episode and tune in for that. It'll be part two of this discussion then. But if you are looking to download and listen and stream, you can do that on iTunes, Spotify, and also SoundCloud. And as well as that, we are now added to both Audible and Amazon. Follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Make sure you tune in for part two of this episode, though. It'll be up within 24 hours of this episode, and you can hear me and Luke continue on the conversation. Otherwise, thanks very much for listening and look forward to chatting to you again about footy very soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.